Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. And I'm Matt Leader. Today on the show, we are talking about Independence Day, one of the kind of big blockbuster summer movies of the 90s. Yeah, you know what's what's fun is, you know, we kind of thought of doing a summer movie series and that didn't quite work out uh, as far as the timing to do to do all that. But there's really is kind of a common thread running through these last few episodes. Uh, you know, Jaws being what it is and it's an amazing film and it's kind of man versus nature. And then Alien has a lot of those same notes. And then we kind of move to another Alien movie. Yeah, I thought about uh, that and, too. And there are some things I'll get to later that I'm like, yeah, that's definitely kind of reminiscent of some things we saw in the in our last film. So uh, it's kind of fun seeing some of those so similar beats. Yeah, totally. And I thought about that too, actually, how, you know, there is, uh, you know, our last episode was Alien. And then with this episode is all about aliens again. And they feel like totally different movies. Mm-hmm. But they still have some similar beats, like you were saying. And it does kind of feel like we're on a little bit of a creature feature uh, kick right now. But that's just kind of the way it worked out. Yep. So, Matt, what uh, what are your overall thoughts on Independence Day? So, my overall thoughts could be basically summarized in the fact that the dog lives. So, the movie's excellent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had that later on as well. So. <laughs> my my wife wanted me to say that. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, it's directed by Roland Emmerich, and uh, the screenplay is by him uh, as well. Uh, along with Dean Devlin. And I have to say that overall, I'm I'm a pretty big Roland Emmerich fan. Uh, I love the big, bombastic, over-the-top disaster movies. Uh, He also made uh, Day After Tomorrow, 2012. And um, both of those, along with this one, have the -the over-the-top explosions everywhere. It feels very action and cheese and and kind of one-liners all over the place. Um, another one uh, that he made was Godzilla, uh, yep. the late 90s Godzilla, which was a movie that I grew up watching. Uh, absolutely love that film and still think it holds up, although it's still incredibly cheesy. Um, and that's And that's, I think, the best thing that I can say about this film is it's just really fun. It has one of the best leadership speeches in any film. Uh, I got, uh, even though I've seen this movie tons of times uh, and I, 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 you know, know the speech pretty well, still sends chills down my spine uh, when I hear the speech by the president at the very end. What's really interesting to me overall is that, uh, to be honest, I don't really remember a lot of the character names. And usually that's a really, really bad sign for me. Uh, because I, I tend to like good character work. And what I've kind of noticed is that, um, you know, in spite of that, the actual characterization is pretty decent. Um, and I actually, just by happenstance, uh, rewatched Day After Tomorrow yesterday. Uh, like I said, another Roland Emmerich film. And it feels very similar uh, kind of thematically and tone-wise if movies have a soul, the two movies share that soul. Uh, it has almost kind of an ensemble cast, um, you know, both films. And, you know, there's main characters uh, who we follow for large portions of it. Uh, but even the kind of B and C characters 
still have some life and some pathos to them. And I think that's what really gets me about these films is that they show these disasters and it shows people at their very worst, as in the world is literally falling apart around them. And it gives an opportunity to see how these people would react. And they react in such human ways that it's easy to connect with them. And so <laughs> I, I may not have a name for the Will Smith character, but it's like I connect with him. I sympathize with him. And I think that's good storytelling. Uh, that's just a little different than what you might see, you know, in a lot of stories that kind of follow one, two, three main characters uh, who we really get to know. What are your thoughts, Craig? Yeah, no, I, I like a lot of what you said, and and I hadn't quite had that crystallized in my in my mind quite the same way uh, until you said it. And you know that the the draw for this movie I remember was the special effects, right? Absolutely. Just the, the the shots of the you know the. Uh, the White House being destroyed and, you know, all the landmarks being destroyed. Uh, and it has great special effects, which I think hold up pretty well uh, for the most part. But really, it is the fact that it has so many great characters that we really do empathize with that makes this movie kind of hold up. You know, it's we do. Everybody remembers Will Smith's character, even if they can't remember what his name is. You know, everybody remembers Randy Quaid's character. And they've you know, there's there's somebody for everybody to identify with in this film. And I think that even though, like you said, even though we don't know the character names, they're so well drawn and they do, their reactions feel for the most part, pretty realistic. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that it's, it's, you know, it's a big blockbuster, but really it's, it's kind of a character piece at the same time. Uh, and I think it's, it straddles the line pretty well between those two things. It's got a lot of heart. Definitely. And I agree that the speech, I mean, I had that later when we got to performance, you know, I had to like write the entire thing down because it's so good. And it does. It gives you chills, even though I've seen this movie, you know, 20 plus times. I, I just think that, um, you know, that speech right there is it's such a thesis statement for the theme of the film, which is that, uh, you know, matter who, no matter who you are, what, you know, walk of life you come from, that you are human. And this this kind of alien invasion is almost like a like a scenario where it's like okay you know when when the chips are down and when it really matters will humanity come together and and they do right and they kind of coalesce and there's this kind of um u.s centric i mean the movie is u.s centric uh but it does sprinkle in other countries and stuff and you know i that's not the movie that was made. I, I would love to see kind of a multinational film. But what it does show is that people are working together. And I love that idea. I love that sentiment. And I think it's a very inspirational film. And so it's like, yeah, there's tons of explosions and there's aliens and stuff. But it's so hope-filled at the end, which is the exact opposite of alien <laughs> uh, in sense of tone. Right. right. Obviously, Ripley escapes it right at the end uh, in Alien, and and it's you know it's a quote unquote happy ending. Uh, but it you know Alien is so dark and so filled with unknowns and filled with terror, and this film is kind of the opposite in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, we have a scene where they go to Area Fifty One and they dissect the alien on the surgery table, and we learn all about him and stuff. 
And so for me, you know, there's that's kind of what I meant by, you know, we have this this kind of creature feature thing, but they're very different films. You know, we got these two films about aliens. One is all about the unknown. There's this sense for me of cosmic horror, of things that are beyond human, beyond um, humanity. Uh, this ancient civilization that was somehow, it's like the Roman Empire that fell. And you, you get the, the Dark Ages and people come and find the Roman ruins are like, these are amazing. What kind of civilization built this and where to go? And there's a sort of uh, sense of dread that comes from that. Whereas Independence Day is, yeah, we're going to go kick some alien butt. <laughs> like, yeah. And and it's, it's a roller coaster, right? Rather than a... Uh, House of Mirrors horror that uh, Alien is. Yeah. Uh, just a couple, you know, I had some of my own thoughts, but I want to respond to some of yours too. I, there was a great quote I got. You talked about the American centrist uh, part of this, which it undeniably is. You know, yeah. there's that great scene at the end. They're like, what's the Americans? Well, it's about time. Like, what are they going to do? Right? right. We've just been sitting on our hands waiting, waiting for, for the Americans. Yeah. You know? Uh, which is, which is fine. I, I think it's fun. It was rousing. And I don't know how well it played in other countries. It played great in, you know, in the U S uh, you know, the film, uh, made over $800 million, you know, in, in the late nineties. So it did pretty well. Um, but there was a quote that I read that I really liked about the music. And I think the music's great in this film. Mm-hmm. It's, it's by a guy named, uh, David Arnold, who's a frequent collaborator, uh, with, with Dean Devlin and also, and Roland Emmerich and also did some bond films, but, the quote from Dean Devlin, he says, uh, and David Arnold is, is from England. He says, you can leave it up to a Brit to write some of the most rousing and patriotic music in the history of American cinema. You know, and it is. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? Uh, and it is, you know, especially I think of the, the scene where, where Randy Quaid is flying his crop duster and it's just this soaring America's flying over the fields and it's, you know, it's beautiful. And it definitely, it makes you feel good and it makes you feel proud uh, of your country. And it's kind of interesting that it's, you know, it's by a guy who's not from America, uh, but it works. And I think it's, it's a, it's an excellent job kind of, you know, building that atmosphere. You talk about world building, you know, and kind of like, there's something to fight for uh, that. You're kind of getting that, uh, the setup at the beginning of the film. I did feel this time, another thing I thought was, and I, I mean, I'm not privy to the, the inner sanctum of American politics, but uh, it feels like it would be a realistic take on how you would handle an alien invasion. Mm-hmm. It felt like they at least they did a good job of kind of letting us behind the curtain of here's the steps that we would take. And I love that they, you know, they have, you know, there's what SETI out in the desert. They get the, you know, they get the signal and then it passes up the chain to the military and then it ends up in the White House. But I also, I found it was hilarious that the White House got a bunch of info on the aliens coming into the atmosphere from the news. Yeah. I was like, maybe you guys would have a little bit better intel, hopefully. And there's a lot of news as exposition in this film, and that's just kind of you know one of the crutches that uh, that they use just to kind of explain certain things. But I thought, you know, for the most part, the movie is self-aware enough to know how absurd the plot is, but kind of leans into that, mm-hmm. uh, and so it works. But there are a few moments, kind of tonally, that just kind of make me laugh. You know, the thing at the beginning where you know it's just too much politics, and they know, you know. Uh, when his, I think she is just his chief of staff, I think is talking to the president. Pretty sure. You know, yeah. That, yeah. And then, you know, the thing about uh, Jeff Goldblum, I got in heaven when he's like, someone's throwing away a, an aluminum can. It's like, they try to get a little preachy in spots, but uh, fortunately those, those things are few and far between. Uh, but it's just, a, it's a fun movie. 
You know, it, it knows, it knows that it's silly. It knows that, you know, uh, basically a guy who works for the cable company is literally the smartest person on the planet. And that's kind of absurd, but it's okay because, you know, Apple computers are compatible with alien technology. And so we can create a virus here on earth that will, you know, weaken their impenetrable systems. Yeah. Apple, it just works. <laughs> and the slow mire, the slow mo fire and the fast dog, of course, which was yeah. <laughs> amazing. Uh, and then my last my last big thought was uh, that I really like uh, before we get into the the nitty gritty uh, was that I love that they have the big lengthy debate about using nukes it goes on and on for a while. Ultimately, they decide to use them and then it doesn't work. Yeah, I love that. Like it's yeah. like a kick in the teeth. You're like, okay, we're gonna make the sacrifice. You know, it's you know it's for the greater good, and then it doesn't work. And you're just like, oh man, we are so <laughs> we're in trouble. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, that the idea that the movie is is aware of kind of how silly it is, is part of what makes it fun. Um, you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's there's plenty of jokes and, you know, it really tries to inject some humor into a very serious situation. But I think that like balances it out. You know, I, I think you need for an action movie like this, I think you need humor and and levity to lighten the mood a little bit. And I, and that's one of my big criticisms of the Snyderverse is the lack of levity and the lack of joy in the world and not to get too sidetracked and get off topic. And I don't want to trigger Craig too much, but you know, it's, it's like in the Snyderverse, that lack of joy, it kind of makes you like, why, why, why is this a world that we want to save? Not to be, you know, cynical, but this, you know, there's there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of love in this movie. There's fathers and sons, husbands and wives, um, you know, people, children coming together. And uh, and you see, like, yeah, man, these people, they want to live because they want to be with each other. And I think that's just a really cool place for the movie to go. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And, and honestly, it reminds me a lot of, and I'd have, I don't have it in front of me, but what year it came out, but Armageddon, which is one of my wife yeah. and I's favorite movie. That is, again, it's very much like we're just sitting back and waiting for America to take, take care of business. It's very yeah. rousingly patriotic, very over the top. And I, I, okay, Harry Stamper, that's who Bruce Willis plays, but he's probably the only one I can think of the, of the, the character names. But I love the actors that are in that film and mm-hmm. the way that they're just chewing scenery. Steve Buscemi in that movie is amazing. Uh, it's a similar, similar vibe, you know, where yes. you're just having, it's ridiculous, you know, basically it's the size of Texas. I mean, it's, it no, but it knows that it's ridiculous and that makes it fun. And I know, yeah. you know, probably both of these movies did not, they didn't do well with critics, probably, not. but they did very well, you know, with the ticket paying audience. Well, yeah. And, and, really, and, and think, sometimes that's all you want. Yeah. I think there's a difference. I mean, you can have movies that are, you know, extremely artistic and well-constructed, you know, and there's, they're real like filmmaker movies, you know, filmmakers appreciate them because they can see what's going on and what went into it. And I also think that there's movies that are just, you know, your popcorn flick where it's like, it's been a long day at work and I want to watch something that takes my mind off things. And that's the same thing with books. I mean, we have literature that is kind of popcorn literature where it's like, you're reading a book because you want a, a little escapism. And there's novels like War and Peace, 
where they are behemoths of the literary world, right? But you probably, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but you probably wouldn't pick up War and Peace after a bad day of work. At least I wouldn't. Right. So. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, cinematography and what I thought they did really well with this film. First off, I like the, and it's definitely, it has to be an homage to Star Wars. Was the first time you see the mothership flying over the moon where it basically feel fills up half the screen as it flies over, you know, that low angle, very slow moving. You don't actually get to see the entire ship, uh, which is cool. And I think, you know, the sense of scale in this film is, is handled excellently. It feels mm -hmm. like it's just completely overwhelming. Your odds are, you know, I sympathize with you. <laughs> I'm thinking about Ash from, from, from alien, right? You're mm -hmm. it's over. You don't have a chance, uh, which I thought was, was amazing. Uh, one of the things that I noticed this time is that in, early in the film, there is a, a close-up on the chessboard uh, when, when David Levinson, that's uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, and, and is playing with his father. And what I thought was interesting was ultimately it's, you know, it's happening as the ships are getting into place and it's foreshadowing because he brings up that, brings up that analogy later uh, in the film. And I was like, oh, that's what they were doing. There's a reason that all you're seeing is this giant chessboard filling the screen, which you wouldn't think you'd see in a sci-fi film, but you know, it served, I thought, a really interesting uh, purpose here. That's fantastic. I never put that together, but I think that's absolutely what they were doing. Um, that's, that's, you know, a perfect example of a little bit of uh, prop work and cinematography that kind of adds to the story that's being told. Yeah, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and again. But uh, <laughs> I thought, I thought, oh, oh my gosh, it just kind of hit me. You know, this time yeah. I've seen it many times, and so I was able to kind of. And I know you probably feel the same way about this film that you can kind of, uh, you don't have to worry about the plot, so you can just kind of just let it kind of gloss over you a little bit and just like pull out stuff you've never seen before because you don't have to pay as close attention to some of the finer, you know, storytelling points. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing that I really liked. Um, with the cinematography is, and I've always liked it, is the the scene where Will Smith's character, uh, Stephen Hiller, I think, uh, he's reading the paper, and every you can just see like out of focus the neighbors on the left and the right hand side, like packing up all their stuff, getting ready to go, and he's yeah. oblivious to it. I love that it's out it's out of focus, uh, and then you know, it uh, it shows just his face, and it's a lot of a lot of shots of just faces they did this with jeff goldblum too where it's like it's kind of the jurassic park acting right you know they're looking at nothing mm -hmm. but you know the performances in this film i think are, are pretty good because you believe the terror and, and the shock in these people's faces absolutely i think the performances are really really well done uh, you know there's one line um pretty early on for will smith's character he walks out to his car he gets called in and his girlfriend slash wife says something like, you know, you're not as charming as you think you are. And in my mind, I was going, no, he, he is. He is. And that's that's kind of across the board, though. Like, all the main characters bring a real charm to the screen. And I think it, it really comes together. Um, uh, Julius Levinson, who is the character, who is Jeff Goldblum's father, I think is amazing. Uh, he 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 adds some real humor along with Jeff Goldblum. Those two together are fantastic. Uh, Bill Pullman as the president has like like we said earlier one of one of the best 
speeches, you know, inspirational speeches, I think, in film history. But he just pulls off the kind of concerned leader pretty consistently throughout the film. Will Smith is is charming up and down. Um, and uh, the general, uh, I think, who's played by Robert Loggia, yeah. um, sells it really well. And this is kind of what I mean, where it's like, as I'm looking down on IMDb and like going down the list, and it's just like, Every one of these characters, I don't know their name from the movie, but it's like, yeah, I, I, I bought that he was a scientist, the, the, the crazy scientist in Area 51. It's like, I, I buy that performance. I think it's a lot of fun. For me, it's a little special that a film can have as fun of characters as they have without being, me being able to remember who they are, their names and stuff, Yeah, if you know what I mean. No, I totally do. I, I totally agree. And I do want to talk about that uh, one little bit further when we get a little bit further down in, in the character. I had a few other things, but I don't want to, I don't want to jump again just yet, but I agree absolutely with, with all your the actors that you pulled out uh, with color with this film. One thing I noticed a lot with them is there's a lot of neon green in this. And I think I'd always noticed it cause it's, it's very, you know, it's very prevalent and it's, it's right there. And the people are kind of attracted to it, which I thought was interesting. You get into color theory, right? And green is typically a good color, right? It's typically like soothing and peaceful and tranquil and that kind of stuff. But then I thought, you know, about we there's the video that we've shared before, and I know we've used it in some of our classes where in you know, like Disney cartoons, the green is always evil. Mm-hmm. And so I know there's a flip side to it. And I thought that was interesting that you have, you know, there's lots of, of shots you know, going with camera work as well, where you have uh, this extreme low angle looking up at the at the alien spacecraft, and it opens up the laser cannon, right? And the people down, and then there's you know it switches to you know extreme high angle looking down at the people, and they're looking up at this green light and thinking it's this inviting paradise, and then they're obliterated. And so I think it, it plays both ways, right? The green is inviting on purpose, but ultimately it's you know, this evil green, it's poison. You know, you think of envy, right? Because they're coming to take our planet. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of, you know, flip sides to it. It's a very deliberate choice. I mean, they didn't just pick green randomly. Uh, and it is kind of an appealing color at first, but then it kind of takes on a different, a different tone after you figure out exactly what these people are about, what these aliens are about. Sure. I mean, green can be the color of, of sickness as well. So we talked about the music a little bit, and I think we both agree that the music in this film is, is great. Mm-hmm. The, the the instrumental music is great. Does it does a really good job of, of building tension uh, in certain points? So you have the the great Americana. This, there's a you know we talked about the speech, and we'll talk about it again. There's this rousing theme that comes um, after the president finishes that speech. Uh, but the one thing it always stuck out to me that I always really liked, uh, and actually got me in the REM for a short time was the use, the diegetic use of It's the End of the World as We Know It at the beginning. And I'd heard that song a couple times before. And I was like, that's so cool. What a great song. And it's, you know, it's, it's a little on the nose. It's really but, on the nose. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a lot. It's a lot on the nose. But it kind of uh, works because the film itself is a little silly and not taking itself too seriously. Yeah, the film's a little on the nose. Um, but I always like, I thought that was cool. I was, you know, it was just the right, it hit me at the right time. 
Uh, and I really enjoyed that. I was like, I need to get that album. And so I went out and bought that. Um, and then the last thing I want to point out with, with music was I've always enjoyed, there's a little bit of like Mickey mousing, uh, when Randy Quaid's character stumbles out of the crop duster and it's kind of played for laughs because his, it, it's this really big epic thing with him flying that little tiny airplane. And then even him just falling out of the plane, it's like, you kind of know there's something important with this guy. Cause it's a little over the top that you have this much attention paid to this one guy. And then it turns out, you know, he's not crazy. He was, you know, <laughs> kidnapped by aliens. He's telling the truth, which is another thing I loved about this film, you know, with the area 51 thing, we talked about that a little bit before. I remember first time I saw this film when they went there, I was like, that came out of nowhere for me, but I was like, mm-hmm. that's so cool. What a great connection to make that, you know, this movie had another layer beneath it and it was like there's actually a conspiracy that we can end up and they end up using it ends up being the key to defeating the aliens and you know they didn't they didn't have the area 51 angle in any of the trailers so you know which i think was as a great way to kind of hide uh, this twist that you're going to have in your film sure and for me this this kind of falls into the stories that i, I really kind of love of um these conspiracy theories that prove to be true. You know, I think that there's certain conspiracy theories in real life, Bigfoot, Area 51, uh, that are, you know, are mostly just fun conspiracies. You know, if someone goes out Bigfoot hunting while they camp with their kids or something, that's just, that's cute and fun, you know? And I love this movie, like the National Treasure films with the map on the back of the the declaration, like that kind of stuff, I, I eat it up. I love it. I think that's just, it's just fun. But it also kind of lets you know, like a wink and a nod, like, oh, but this could be true because Area 51 does exist. So mm-hmm. guess what? And I, I just think that's like, a, it's a fun wink and a nod towards the audience. Um, and you see this pop up in a couple of, of Emmerich's films as well. Right. You think of, you know, like Stargate with the ancient astronauts and yeah, there are some things like that, but you know, you mentioned a Julius Levinson, Jeff Goldblum's father in this film that he's the one that brings it up to us. So it's played for laughs, right? He's like, mm-hmm. you know, the way the aliens, fit. and they're like, yeah, whatever. I know that's <laughs> not true. The president's like, I don't know what you've heard. And then you have that great line. That's not exactly accurate. You know? It's yeah. Like, yeah. What? And then the movie takes a left turn, uh, uh, which is fun. There's so many great lines in this film. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, you have great performances. You have great actors, memorable uh, actors. And of course, there's there's great lines in this film. The one from the beginning, the president has he's so many great things other than the speech, too. I mean, the speech in and of itself is fantastic. And it might be, and I haven't seen all of his films, but this might be Bill Pullman's best film, in my opinion. I mean, he's he's been great in some other things, too, but. He's so great. He's charismatic in this. And, and I remember at the time, you know, he was so young to be, to be playing the president in a movie. That was not something we had really seen to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, when he says at the beginning, I'm not leaving, it was powerful, right? You, just to say, you know what? I'm not going to do something that's going to cause panic in the streets. Uh, you know, and then he gives a speech, and this is one of my favorite things too. You know, he says, "If you feel compelled to leave these cities, please do so in an orderly fashion." And then there's immediately a jump smash cut to riots and crash. <laughs> yeah, smash yeah. cut exactly, uh, which is amazing. And then you know, this time it's you know, an, a line from someone who's not a a a big actor, an extra in the film, essentially. 
on the news, because again, we're using the news for storytelling purposes, says, once again, the LAPD is asking Angel- uh, Los Angelinos not to fire their guns at the visitor spacecraft. You may inadvertently trigger an interstellar war. <laughs> <laughs> like that right there, you, that is, in, in a nutshell, this movie knows what it is. Yeah. Uh, and it's amazing. Did you have any lines that you really liked from this film? The one that always gets me, uh, you know, other than the speech, is Randy Quaid right at the end. He, he just bellows with such joy uh, as he's flying up into the belly of the spaceship. Up yours. Uh, I think it's like, uh, guess what, boys? I'm back. And he smashes into the ship and it explodes and saves the day. And the performance is fantastic. And it's such a cool climax of the film for me because you spend roughly the first half of the film, whenever we see Randy Quaid's character, uh, the movie's just taking a dump on him. <laughs> I mean, his kids don't like him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a drunk. You know, nobody a, believes him. Gets arrested uh, at one point. Gets arrested at one point, and then, uh, you know, he kind of works his way into a fighter jet. And it, it, <laughs> and and this is something that it it, it touches on something that I really uh, saw this time in the film. Because I I haven't I saw the movie a lot growing up. I haven't seen it in years, and there's a class consciousness I feel in the film, and it feels like there's commentary again on that kind of humanity part where the hero of the film, the person who saves humanity, is a drunk bum who has his life in shambles. Will Smith's wife, eventual wife, uh, is an exotic dancer. And there's a great line in the film when uh, she um, meets the the first lady, right? right. And uh, the first lady asks asks her like, "What do you do?" And she goes, "Oh, I'm a dancer." And the first lady's eyes light up, and she goes, "Oh, ballet." And and then she responds, "Oh no, exotic dancing." And oh, and it's this this like smashing together of t- the two kind of opposite ends of of the social spectrum, the first lady and an exotic dancer. And the first lady says, I'm sorry. And and she responds, you know, don't be, it's worth it for, for my son. And, you know, the, the heroes of this film in a lot of ways are ordinary people. They are people who you might kind of look down on just walking around in normal society. Um, you know, and I, I would say that our society nowadays is a bit more tolerant in general of, of things, um, you know, and this movie was made almost 30 years ago, is it? Yeah. 96. So, you know, and so, and so I'm curious what the reaction was to have kind of, you know, the drunk and the exotic dancer being kind of heroes of the film. And of course you got your more traditional heroes as well. Um, but then like you mentioned, you know, the cable guy, smartest person in the room. Yep. Um, so it's, it's, to me, it's like this gathering together of, all these different elements of society and they all coming all come together to work towards this common goal, this common good. And that's such a beautiful idea. And the performances and the lines uh, that they give uh, really just sell that to me and, and cement that as, you know, the movie, what it's trying to do besides just entertain us is to make some comments, no matter how ham fisted it is that humans 
are worthy of dignity, be you a first lady or an exotic dancer. And I think that's just so cool. Yeah, no, that that's that's beautiful that's sentiment, you know, and it's it's really is something we talked about the speech a lot, but you know, it really just it is all about unity. I mean, that speech to round us up, you know, um, it's not just you know an American fight anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's for all of us, and we're not fighting against freedom; we're fighting against annihilation. Uh, and it's very, it, yeah, I think unity is absolutely you know the theme of this film, and it's kind of like a collective hero's journey for a lot of these people that are you know finding that's a great point, yeah, you know, will. Uh, the will to to act and, and strength they never know they had, courage they never knew they had. Uh, but like you said, there's also, you know, there's also some very kind of almost stereotypical uh, macho characters in this one as well, like Will Smith's character. And they all yeah. kind of blend together. Uh, and, you know, because I, I have to go back to to some, like the welcome to earth scene. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think that might be my favorite line in the film. Um, and and I love the way that it happens because you know he opens it up the 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 alien spacecraft and he's being super cocky about the whole mm-hmm. thing. He's talking trash the whole time. He miraculously survives, uh, and then he's like, he's gonna die. And then the thing pops up and there's a little bit of jump scare. And then he punches it in the face. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Welcome to Earth. And it's just like he's so cool. Yeah. And it you know and it's like yeah we can do this right. You know the. Up until that point, it had been very much like it's just a matter of time until we're wiped out. And then it's like, no, you know, it's like this, you know, this macho Americana, I don't know, just, you know, standing up to it, not being afraid. And and we're going to get this done. Yeah. Oh, uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I love Will Smith's walk up and all the, the trash talk on the yeah. way to the spaceship as well. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, uh, as much as the rapport between Smith and Goldblum is amazing. And I love it. Like it still makes me laugh, especially, you know, when they're paired up together uh, mm-hmm. at the end, you know, this time without the oops. How are those, how have these two actors not been in another movie together? How would they not had, I don't know, just something else? Because it's very, you know, it's like the odd couple type of type of pairing, but their chemistry is great. Yeah. It really like, works. That just, it feels like a missed opportunity that that hasn't happened yet. So, you know, somebody put those guys together because I'd watch that. It's fantastic. I mean, I don't know. I thought that was great. I also really like um, the line when the president's being essentially killed by the alien on the, on the autopsy table. And uh, the guy says, is that glass bulletproof? And the way Adam Baldwin says, no, sir. It's like, yeah. And then they blow him away. And they just <laughs> blow him away. That's right. That's what we do. But the way he says it, it's just like, yes. he's totally understood. Oh, it's it works so well. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, nuke him. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, it doesn't work. But, you know, it has this, it plays really well with like the lows and the highs. Like it's, you know, always darkest before the dawn that, that they play that angle very, very well in this film. It's like, like you said earlier, it's a roller coaster and it works. It's still fun. I've seen this movie so many times and I know it's going to happen and I still, uh, enjoy those moments of the highs and the lows and the jump scares and the, the cool lines and all that stuff. So, oh yeah, uh, the little speech about the Black Knights uh, when yep. uh, Will Smith and the other fighter pilots are first going to attack and they launch their missiles and again all that bravado and and then it doesn't work and it all goes belly up and you know the um, Will Smith's uh, pilot friend he dies and you know and it, I. <laughs> Thinking about it more, you know, talking with you, 
It is such an interesting juxtaposition. I mean, this movie, I feel like, is begging for a real deep dive into the analysis. Because you do have that true Americana bravado, you know, John Wayne, hightailing and across the desert kind of feeling alongside this kind of narrative of unity. And I don't know how well those two things work together in the same. I mean, the movie is fun as hell. So it's not it's not that it doesn't right. work, but it does kind of clash a little bit with each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, though there are some tonal things. Like I mentioned before, where it gets a little bit preachy on on uh, environmental things. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to mess up the planet so they don't want it and there's, you know, some politics things earlier. Uh it's got it's it's doing a lot of things and they don't yeah. all land. But the vast majority of them do. And you know, if the goal is to be fun and to ha- let you have a good time at the movies, then it nails that 100%. Yeah. I had a question for you. The alien design. I really like the alien exosuits. I thought those were great and and very much reminiscent of, you know, the xenomorph from the last film that we did. Mm-hmm. I think probably fairly intentionally. What did you think about the little alien that's inside? What do you think about the design of that one? I thought it was fine. I, I thought it worked. Um, you know, it's it's hard for me to get a little distance from the movie sure. because this is a movie that I kind of grew up watching and, and saw many times when I was younger and love, you know, kind of the action and stuff. And so it's so familiar to me that it like, it almost doesn't even register. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting. The kind of telepathic abilities that they have. Sure. Uh, which is a little different. The creepiest scene in the film is, is when you are watching them cut, cut the alien open and it attacks all the doctors and stuff. And then, the president walks down there and it slams the head doctor up against the the glass, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden. I think the design is, is, is fine. I mean, it, I, I hate to say it's kind of unremarkable because it, it, I feel like it borrows from what some, you know, classic, the big glassy eyes, you know, the big head, small body, kind of Area 51 alien um, with, with a more organic twist to it i guess sure yeah the reason i ask is you know there's there's a bunch of stuff in this film that very much pegs it as a 90s film Mm. um between you know the tv sets and the huge cell phones and the computers (laughs) and those kind of things and so that got me thinking about you know i like this movie because i liked this movie in 96 Mm -hmm. you know and i it has that nostalgia with me Mm -hmm. and so i kind of had the thought of you know how would a new viewer who hadn't seen this film, how would they feel? Would it's, you know, does it work on that level? Uh, and then I just, you know, I realized that I've showed this film to my kids and they love it yeah. and they have, you know, <laughs> cause it's a fun film and they're, they're not caught up in, you know, what the giant cell phone looks like or yeah. what kind of, you know, uh, dial ups we have for internet or, you know, all those kind of things. They don't care. They, they again, they, they want to see the aliens. They want to see things get blowed up and, uh, the characters and the, the lines are amazing. So yeah. uh, I think it, I, do, I do think it translates. It's fun to watch things like that where you go, wow, that is outdated, but I don't care. You know, it's a period piece. This is mm-hmm. what would happen in 96. Just go with it. Um, one just random uh, fun fact I found about the setting was that 
they didn't film in the White House because you can't do that. Um, but the set uh, has been used in, in other another couple of movies. Uh, it was built for the American president, um, the uh, Aaron Sorkin written film, which we may do at some point, uh, and was also used for the movie Nixon. So that's kind of cool that you know that at least somebody was recycling. So there you go. So it's using Jeff Goldblum would they, love it. That's right. They they're you know they're consistent all the way through. And uh, one thing I had this time is the alien fighters, their little spacecrafts, and those things are not very aerodynamic. But of course, we're not supposed to understand their technology anyway. So um, yeah, we'll just, we'll just I feel like it. we can. Yeah, we can forgive that one for it being alien tech. They kind of look like oven mitts to me a little bit, um, <laughs> or like crab claws, maybe. <laughs> I, can, I don't know. I, I can they, see that a little bit. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe the designer had crab right before he designed it. So, <laughs> you know, I've heard that's what it was with like the Millennium Falcon. So the movie that's true, right? They had a hamburger, and I don't know. <laughs> um, so characters, we've I think we've talked about just about everybody. I mean, Will Smith is amazing. I remember uh, when I first saw the trailer for Men in Black, which is I believe his next film. I think that came out in '97, and uh, it has the you know the spaceship crashes and step out of your vehicle, put your hands on your head. And it's like, he's playing the same guy. I'm so excited because I'd love that. And essentially, you know, he's kind of, it's Will Smith kind of playing Will Smith, but yeah, he's great in it. Bill Pullman's amazing. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I did want to mention Mary McDonald is the first lady when she dies. We mentioned her earlier in her interactions with um, Will Smith's girlfriend, soon to be wife uh, was kind of a big move. I thought kind of a bold you know, gravitas inducing move that, you know, there's actual stakes in this. You also mm-hmm. had Harry Connick Jr.'s character die, um, which, yeah, I mean, this movie works emotionally because we could all die. You just saw some people that you care about, uh, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being, wow, that's kind of an interesting choice. That's, that's big. Well, and it comes back, come, comes back in, you know, later on plot wise, because the sleazy Secretary of Defense is basically accuses the president of being too emotional when his wife dies. Yep. So it's like it's it's not even just used for gravitas and kind of raising the stakes, although it does. Uh, but it also plays an important part in, in that little character moment right there. And yep. um, one quick random thing that I've kind of noticed is there's um, a bunch of little performance things that I notice in, in these uh, Emmerich films. Uh, I mentioned that I watched The Day After Tomorrow uh, yesterday, the day before, and noticed the same thing, where there's just these little character moments. One thing that stood out to me was when the aliens first attack the military base. I think it's right after the Air uh, Air Force tries to attack and fails to attack the, the big ship. Uh, the commander of the, the Air Force base is sitting there with a cigar in his mouth, and when he realizes that the aliens are coming to attack the base, he kind of just lets the cigar fall. And it's those little moments right there. Uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, looking for ice and being like, there's no ice here. Uh, for me, I, I kind of think of those things as uh, fat. So when you're cooking to add flavor, you will all often cook with some kind of fat. And um, it's not necessary like the fat isn't going to give you more nutrients necessarily, right? It's not life-sustaining, but it adds flavor to it. And you can have a movie, have all the basic characterization and the plot points and everything, but there are some movies that have just the right amount of fat that add just a little bit of flavor, a little bit of sizzle to them. 
And I think that this movie has that flavor. And it's the one-liners. It's the little moments of acting that the characters have. Um, you know, just just Goldblum failing to find ice. Like, it's such a frustrating moment. As someone who's still using ice trays, I feel his pain. <laughs> and so it's like, it's, uh, it's that empathy. It's that connection. And that's that would be something that could so easily be cut because it's not necessary to the plot of the film. It's not necessary to the characterization, but it adds just a little bit of real world uh, verisimilitude to the film that it just, it helps sell the magic of the movie. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I will not try and add to that. So, and yeah, ice cube trace. That's, <laughs> I'm thinking about true lies. Um Quite kind of a taste, still the ice cream trace. Um, we'll get to that eventually. So, final thoughts on this film. Uh, I had a question, and I because I couldn't actually verify it, but I think this might be the first sky beam, first blue sky beam that we've seen in modern film. I you have know, pre, no idea. Pre Avengers, pre uh, Man of Steel, pre all those. I don't know. Someone, you know. Maybe one of our listeners can uh, can research and get back to us on that. But I was like, "Hey, it's a sky beam," because that's always a joke now. And it's like, yeah. "Hey, you know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised uh, if uh, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin were responsible for that because they've influenced a lot of either. a yeah. lot of things." Uh, but uh, it just kind of struck me as as odd. Uh, I do want to mention that I love the fact that the president not only does he give that great speech, then he jumps in a fighter plane and leads the attack. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm getting chills just thinking about that right now because it's like that is so macho. Yeah, what a great move to have that happen. He's like, of course, I belong in the air. It's like, it's yeah, you do. <laughs> oh man, it's so great. What a great, what a great moment. And you're like, yeah, of course he is. And then you know, Russell Case figured out how to fly a fighter plane in you know an hour. He's just good, like Dustin Crops, kid. <laughs> Apparently, it is like Dustin Crops. <laughs> it's not flying through hyperspace, but flying into an alien spacecraft. Pretty much like Dustin Crop. Hold on maneuver. That's <laughs> it's all foreshadowing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dude, that's absolutely right. What a beautiful connection. <laughs> uh the worldwide montage at the end, little cheesy. Sure. Uh, but it worked at the time. I didn't notice it was cheesy then. It's just it's a little and that's one of those things too. I'm just like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm an American. I live in America. I know we have listeners outside, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, I know we have somebody in Hong Kong that's listening to us on a regular basis. Over in Europe, there's somebody in Ireland and some people in Germany and all over, which is fantastic. And so I'm curious, like, what their views on on this film are. Are we, you know, as egocentric as we can be as Americans thinking, like, this is a great film because America, um, like, how do they view the film? I, I wonder. And, and, you know, in 96 versus now, like, are there different opinions? Because it happens to be, uh, you know, an American film where, Americans, you know, come up with a plan and save the day. So that's, you know, again, you said this movie is ripe for now. So there's lots of things we could do way deeper. Yeah. Um, but uh, we don't have time for that today. Well, just one last thing, because I do think, you know, um, yeah, we do have uh, international listeners and it's awesome that you guys are, are listening out there. We'd love to hear from you about what you think if you've seen this movie. Uh, my gut is that they would say that, yes, we are egocentric uh, Americans, which is probably totally justified, but it's also still a really good film. 
And what makes me think that is um, the movie Dunkirk, which is kind of the British-centric, you know, heroic movie. Look how amazing and heroic all these British people are. But And, like, I can acknowledge that and be like, yeah, it's still a really good movie, though. I still enjoy it. So I I am curious, though, what other people think. And I think that's, that's also, you know kind of viewing this movie from from the future a little bit like we're looking back and going yeah it's a little you know america america centric and like focused on america even though it's preaching unity and you know it is what it is and it's still a, a really fun movie in my opinion and it doesn't i don't i don't think it detracts from the fun of the film and if that's you know I, I wouldn't say that, you know, watching Independence Day is how you should uh, gain your philosophy on life. But if you're looking for a fun film to watch on a Friday, I, I think it really uh, fits the bill. I would agree. And uh, I love that you brought up Dunkirk. I just recently watched that uh, with my son. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's 13 and, and loved it. And yeah. it really has, has very little to do about where it's set and who, you know, what country they're representing. Yeah. As much as it is, you know, how good the film is. And I think that, uh, I think we've demonstrated that this film is, you know, it's, it's a fun. good film. It's it a is. fun film. And it does what it's supposed to do. And yeah. I don't know what more you can ask from a film. I don't think you can ask anymore. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or you can email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback, and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies.